One Week Season. to the OWS First Peak Podcast, where we are going to be talking about some of this week's games that will be flying a bit under the radar. I'm your host, Fritz 12 on DraftKings, Twitter, and in OWS Discord. And today, I'm joined by Lex Moralia and Majestic. What's going on, guys? Just looking through injury reports, you know, all day long. <laughs> I keep looking at that. I think his name's Aaron Wilson. He's one of the Texans beat reporters posts like the COVID list every day. So just keeping up with that. I, I feel like record three days. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like our jobs and just like anybody in the like fantasy football space as a whole has gotten significantly harder <laughs> this year with <laughs> COVID. There's just like so much to be tracking, you know, outside of, uh, just even like the, the immense amount of regular injuries that are going yeah. on, there's just so, so much to track on week to week. Um, but hopefully, you know, with that in mind for what we're going to be talking about today, we'll be able to help listeners kind of navigate those waters a little bit. Cause it's, uh, it's, it's messy. That's for sure. <laughs> yep. I know. I'm- Seeing more more Christmas cookies and making lineups, so I, I need to flip that this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's dive right in. Today we're going to be talking about Green Bay at Baltimore, Washington at Philly, and Tennessee at Pittsburgh. So in our primetime spot here, we've got uh, Green Bay at Baltimore. Primetime for this pod, by the way. Um, two strong teams that have playoff motivations. Obviously, we're going to be monitoring Lamar's health because that'll be kind of interesting. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more in our analysis here. Both of these teams play slowly, which I'm kind of interested to dig into how we feel like this might play out because... Generally, that's not a good recipe for DFS success, but I feel like there there might be paths because these teams have talented pieces and big guys uh, that we could get some DFS goodness out of this here. So let's start with the Green Bay side of the ball. Uh, Green Bay is not necessarily going to have an easy time on the ground. The, The matchup there doesn't set up really well. And I wanted to start here because I think that's going to be an interesting way to kind of figure out how this game plays out because green, if that's the case, green Bay's best shot at scoring points and sustaining drives is going to be through the air. And so if they are doing that, well, they're going to put points up. If they're not doing that, well, the clock's going to be stopped a little bit more than they would potentially like it to be. So with that, I'll throw it over to you, Lex. Thoughts on that? Do you feel like I am accurate in that? What should we be looking out for here in terms of like how Green Bay sets up and how they'll want to attack? Yeah, I mean, I think like any team's going to have, you know, success on the ground in any given week. It just 
based on the way the game plays out or how well they're playing. But obviously we're looking at what's most likely to happen. And Baltimore has been pretty stingy on the ground for the majority of the year, but like, especially lately, like they've, if you look at the recent like box scores, like they've been really limiting some of these, uh, even like strong running backs. Um, and then on top of that, we have a green Bay backfield that's been like split in kind of a weird way lately. Um, since Jones Jones came back, like Dylan's actually getting more touches and stuff, but, um, Jones has still scored a couple of touchdowns, which keeps his value afloat. But like, mostly it's just kind of a hard thing to peg when we don't really know, you know, what's going to, who's going to lead enough, or if one of those guys even going to get enough carries, like to put up a nice score. Um, so when you combine that with the bad matchup, like it, it makes the backfield, like kind of questionable to target, like from a daily fantasy perspective, unless obviously, you know, you're targeting like some low ownership score, because we know, you know, Jones obviously has like massive ceiling, you know, in those games when he can score like four touchdowns, but, um, yeah, I, I would be obviously focusing more on the pass game and stuff. I, I do like what you're saying about like slow nature of these teams, but like Green Bay's been a slow team under Lafleur for these last three years, and obviously they're still able to put up some nice, you know, fantasy scores throughout that. Now, granted, most of that's usually you know Devonte. Um, so I, I I do really like the spot for Devonte. You know, Baltimore lost; they already have been without Peters all year, and they just lost like some more players in the secondary. Um, obviously Marlon Humphrey, like a week or so ago, um, that's the more significant one. So they, they started off the year, like even with those injuries, um, playing pretty well against receivers for the majority of the year, but lately, like they've been getting crushed. Like there's been like, like, I want to say I wrote down, it was like four or five, like hundred yard receivers just in the last like month or something. Um, so I think Adams is obviously in a really good spot. Uh, he's still getting, he's getting, he's back to getting like massive targets. Like the earlier in the year, he was kind of, you know, a little bit more, you know, um, up and down compared to the last couple seasons with Lafleur, um, and his touchdowns have been down this year. I think that's why people think maybe he's having a down year. He just was scoring at such an absurd rate the first few years. But um, lately, I mean, he has like three straight hundred yard games. He's got like two touchdowns in like two of the last three games, like each. Uh, so he's back to getting that like absurd volume right now. And part of it's because Green Bay has been playing in these kind of shootouts where they needed to score more. Like I think the last three games Green Bay has played in, I want to it was like 31, 34, 36, 28, 45, 30. So that's generally not these way these Baltimore games play out, but you know, with some of these Baltimore injuries with green Bay, maybe being forced to the air a little bit more, um, maybe we do see a little bit more scoring. Obviously it helps if Lamar plays, you know, and they're able to score on that end. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm not as excited about the run game. I do think that like, like you said, maybe that leads to more passing volume. Uh, maybe we get a little bit more, you know, we're all, we're going to get good Devonte, you know, usage regardless, but maybe that helps out guys like like MBS or if he doesn't play like Lazard, um, so I, I'd be focused on the passing game for Green Bay. I think they're in a good spot. There's not a lot of great passing attacks to target this week in general. So, you know, when you have one now, even with Rogers battling through his injury, you know, he's still going to be pretty efficient. Like we would expect Baltimore's not that the best pressure team, like they blitz a lot. Um, so if they can get, you know, pressure on him that way, you know, Green Bay is starting some, you know, backups on the offensive line, but generally they protect Rogers pretty well. He gets rid of the ball so quickly. I mean, that's kind of the staple of Lafleur's offense last couple of years. So I'd be surprised if they got a lot of pressure on Rodgers. Um, so I, I, I think the passing attack is in a pretty nice spot. Yeah, I agree with that too. I think uh, Green Bay's running game is just going to be token. They're just going to only run the ball really to run the clock when they need to. Um, the way that the Baltimore defense sets up is they're so strong against the run. Like Green Bay has got the fourth toughest run DVOA matchup this week fifth worst in that adjusted line yards matchup. Baltimore's defense has allowed the fewest rush yards per game and the fewest adjusted line yards. So 
just that matchup is not going to be strong for, for any like fantasy points or anything, but they're still going to run the ball. Um, and both of these teams, they combine for 66 minutes of possession time per game. So somewhere in there, something's going to change. And I, I think that is going to be with the passing game. So I think if green Bay's passing and, uh, the completion percentage isn't up. I think that's where you, the the clock will stop a little bit and allow for a few more plays. But otherwise, I think it's probably going to be a pretty typical Packers game where at some point, you know, they just kind of run the ball when they have to. And then it's mostly just going to be Aaron Rodgers kicking back, throwing the ball. And uh, I pulled up looking at the 300 yard passers against Baltimore this year. Pretty much if you have a competent offense, your quarterback's going to throw for 300 against these guys. Uh, Tua and combined for 314 yards. And then you've got Burrow with 416 yards, Wentz with 402, Carr had 435, Mahomes had 343. And their secondary is just ravaged injuries right now. Like what's the same? They just lost Humphrey two weeks ago. Uh, Green Bay has the second best net pass DVOA matchup, and that includes games that Humphrey was playing in. And then they also have the third best net adjusted sack rate matchup. So with Rodgers getting, he's getting like 3.69 seconds of time to throw the ball. He's facing a defense that blitzes often, but has the fourth worst blitz to sack conversion rate. So like they'll blitz you, but they're not going to get home for the sack. He's just going to sit back there and pick them apart. Uh, Baltimore's defense too, they've allowed the highest yards per catch or per completion at 12.3, fifth highest ADOT at 8.6 and fourth highest yards. At, yeah. So yards per completion, then my other one was yards after catch. Fourth highest yards after catch at 142 yards per game. And they're also one of the only, or they're one of only seven teams that have allowed eight multi-touchdown passing games, which is the most in the league. So like everything sets up for them to just lean pass heavy in this game and then just uh, see if they can run the ball late and run out the clock. It's going to matter if uh, Jackson is able to play to keep up with them because that's where the Packers may have to let the gas off is if they're so far ahead and like it's the third quarter and it's already 35 to seven. And it's like, well, I don't know which players are going to start coming off the field at that point, but we have to be able to uh, hopefully imagine a scenario where the Ravens are able to keep pace in some way so that we can get some of the, the goodness that we're, we're supposed to get out of Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams. And pretty much those are the only two I'm really targeting. And then also kind of a, uh, Interesting play on the flip side. If we do think Baltimore fails, then the Packers defense probably set up pretty well on this too for a, a nice fantasy score. Yeah. When, when Baltimore is like already down, like guys they are losing, you know, more each week, it seems like, and they've allowed the second most pass here. It's all season already. Like that's a tough spot against one of the most efficient offenses over the last three years, you know, with Rodgers and LaFleur. So I, I, I think, yeah, I think Green Bay is in a pretty nice spot through the air here. Um, of course, there's always ways, you know, it can fail, especially if Rodgers' toe injury is more serious than we think and he's got even less mobility. But, you know, if what in our expectation should be that they have a pretty nice setup that we want to attack. Yeah, I'm kind of curious just from like a football standpoint, curious to see what the play calling looks like on the Green Bay side of the ball if they will, you know, cause they're a team that will be a little bit more stubborn. Like this is how we play. This is how we're going to you know, attack you. Uh, so I'm curious to see if that shifts at all here, if they do lean a little bit pass heavy, I guess, because we've mentioned it. So Devante is clearly the alpha here. I really like him in this spot, especially if 
I'm building rosters or thinking that Baltimore can keep up. I think that he's really, really strong. And Lex, you had kind of alluded to it also. There's not a ton to really, really love on this slate. Uh, so my my question then is, is there anybody to, behind Devante, MVS, Lazard, the tight, you know, we got a kind of a weird tight end situation with Deguara and like, are, is there anybody else we should consider here? Um, I mean, you haven't seen many big scores from those other guys this year, but like MBS and Lazard can always put up those, you know, big catch, you know, like long catch type games and MBS, like, I think, you know, it wasn't JM talking about a couple weeks ago, like how, like a lot of times MBS and Devante can actually like blow up together, like just the way it happens and the way those games play out. Um, so that's definitely a possibility. You know, Rogers is coming off three straight 300 yard games, you know, now against the team allowing the second most, like I said, second most passers per, you know, in the league this year. So I, I think MBS is viable. Like, like Jess was saying, they've allowed like the, like the highest yards per completion this year and one of the highest a dots they're facing. So like, I do think it's an interesting spot for MBS. Um, even Jones, like, so Baltimore's allowed like the ninth most running back receiving yards this year. So like Jones has not had like consistent usage for the year, but if one of those running backs is going to get used, it's more likely to be Jones, you know? So he, maybe he racks up a lot of catches, like, especially with a high blitz team. Um, like if you look at Rogers, like next gen, you know, his, like the dots of like where all his passes go for the last couple of years, like most of the games, like they're really short. Like he, he'll, he just has like the arm still to make those like longer plays when they take some shots, but like for the most part, they're just getting quick, you know, quick game, short routes and Devonte can separate. So, you know, quickly that they're able to just do that successfully and like run these like PA rollouts and whatnot. So, you know, I, I think MVS is certainly viable from like taking a shot. Lazard had a nice game last week, but your MVS is still more, the more likely bet just in how they've been used. Like Lazard is more used as a blocker, but um, yeah, I wouldn't, I'm not saying I'm like, I'm excited about that. I don't really even know what MVS price is. And he's been mostly obviously with him, like he could just as easily put up one point as he could put up like 20, you know what I mean? But um, he's certainly viable in this kind of, this kind of matchup, probably, better in like some sort of game stacking. If you're like figuring Packers need to throw more just because they are generally going to try to run when they can. Um, but you know, he, he sets up nicely with like Devonte being obviously the best play and MBS would probably be my second favorite in the past game. Um, I, I don't, re- I can't say I'm too interested, even despite what I just said about Jones through the air, like the, it wouldn't be my, you know, ideal target, especially because he is, I think I saw that he's still dealing with some, you know, his injury as well. And now the Dylan usage. So I, I would say MBS and Adams would be the two guys I'd be focused on. The tight end usage is just too inconsistent between Lewis and DeGuara right now. That I just think there's better tight ends you can take shots on. Yeah, you, you avoid the Green Bay tight end situation. Like those guys aren't really that high upside. And you were saying you haven't seen MBS's price. He's at his highest price all year. They jacked him up $1,000 for this matchup. So he's at oh, wow. 4900 this week. Um, and even at that, like he'll probably make my early week player pull just because I do like the setup here for Green Bay's passing game. So uh, I'll keep him in mind. 4,900, it's, I swear every week there's always like, it's somewhere between like 4,500 and 5,200 is where I'm looking for my last slot when I'm building lineups. So he'll probably end up on, on a roster. So, or a couple of them, but, uh, I, I don't know. Lazard's kind of low upside. They'll, they'll throw to him in the, the red zone occasionally, but he's not. I mean, they kind of use him more to block. 
I do like Aaron Jones a little bit though, because because of the blitz and because of the quick dump off. And if his knee is healthy, like he was limited today in the walkthrough, but it's Wednesday. That's usually a veteran rest day kind of thing. But he could be the guy who, you know, randomly pops for two touchdowns. Like he, what did he have? Uh, he barely yeah, had, he had two last week. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And he barely had any opportunities. He had five carries, three targets, two touchdowns. So yeah. it's. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if he, if his volume increases at all, I mean, that, that could happen again. I don't know. He's only 6,600, which isn't bad, but his, his injury status. Yeah. Dylan behind him. I think they'll use Dylan Moore's runner, which I thought was funny. Dylan didn't have any targets last week either. It just seemed like they were starting to use him more in a passing role. And then they only gave uh, three targets to Jones and none to Dylan. So I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to predict how how they're going to use the running backs this week, especially with uh, Jones's knee. But I don't know. It's it, to me, obviously Adams and Rogers. You're playing those guys. Um, if you're looking to to get different, then I think it's either MBS or Aaron Jones. Yeah, I like the I I, I like the thought of Aaron Jones, but I just I can't go there just because of the split. You know, I I do think that would be really interesting. Uh, and of course, like he can hit, you know, we saw that I know because I played Dylan in, in the captain spot on showdown. Uh, <laughs> and I was pissed when he came in and essentially it's ironic to say, but like he vultured those touchdowns from Dylan, Dylan was the one doing most of the work, but yeah, I don't know. Just a little bit too thin for me. I think for like big, like, you know, if you're, you're mass multi-entering in bigger fields, I think of course, Aaron Jones is, <clears throat> excuse me, viable then. Uh, yeah, I think for me, it is, it's by, you know, far and away Devante. And then I do think you can go Rogers, Devante MVS as well. Uh, if you really, you know, you could also potentially just bet on MVS getting, you know, two big plays or something like that, but it's, it's hard to see Devante not, uh, producing at all. Yeah. I was just going to add to like, um, now since like Jess was saying that his price has been jacked up. I would go back. I would like at least to just advise, like go back and listen to what JM was saying about that combo and just make sure that it still works with the new salary. You know what I mean? Like, cause obviously everything he talked about was based on how he was priced that week and how often they were able to hit together at that. So like, I don't know, you know, how that applies now. Like it still could. I mean, if you look at two weeks ago or whatever, they, they were like, I think it was like a 35 and like a 25 point score they each had, you know what I mean? So like, obviously they can put up a big game, but um, the new price definitely makes it, I'm sure Devonte is probably even higher than he was a couple weeks ago now too. So I would just, you know, just at least that I would advise that if you have the time to check that out, just because that was a really great segment jam had about those two and it could apply to this very matchup. Like this is a week where it would be interesting too. So yeah, but I'm good on this side of the ball. All right. So moving on to the other side, then we've got the quarterback situation, obviously with Lamar, who I played a bunch of last week. So that hurt as well. <laughs> uh, and we've got a green Bay defense who has been solid, but not, you know, too scary based on everything we were just talking about. It sounds like we expect the Packers to put up some points here. So what does the outlook look like for, the quarterback of the Ravens and how they'll be attacking Jess. I'll throw this to you first. Well, I kind of like the idea of Huntley playing in this one, because he's thrown uh, 36 and 38 times in his two extended outings and he's completed 
72% and 71% of his passes. He's still running the ball seven and six times for 40 and 45 yards. So he's, he's basically been Lamar's legs, but he's throwing a little more than that, than Lamar has been. And he's not turning the ball over. <laughs> so he, he actually would make this game a little more interesting to me if he continues that trend. Um, still, I mean, there's Lamar is still a threat. Um, I read something last week and I don't remember all of it, but go to football outsiders. Somebody, uh, I think it was Derek Clawson wrote an article about what's causing Lamar's troubles right now. And I, I think he just has no trust in his offense, no trust in his receivers. Like his guys aren't really running crisp routes and stuff like that. So I, but the, the thing though, is the green Bay defense is pretty good at, at stopping the run. They have a pretty good defensive line. They're only allowing eight rushing touchdowns and 23 in passing games. So they don't allow much yards either way, but I think Baltimore is going to have to throw the ball to stay in this game. So if Huntley plays, I, I kind of like the, the prospects of Baltimore's offense to hang a little better. Um, which sounds funny because Lamar is such a threat on the ground, which he still could be. But the way he's been playing these past few games, like since he came back from that last COVID stint, has just not been, uh, I don't know, the, the Lamar that we would expect to see. So in their, their passing game too, also, like we're looking at the fifth worst net adjusted sack rate matchup because Baltimore's offensive line can't protect. And they've been hit on the offensive line with injuries too. Like their right tackle's been out for a few games. Um, and Baltimore's allowed the fourth most DK points to tight ends. So that's for the other side. Sorry. <laughs> I put that note in the wrong one. Um, but yeah, uh, with, with the running game, I, I don't see Freeman or Murray or anybody really getting going too much on here. They, they might punch in a touchdown or something, but you're looking at like 40 or 50 yards from their running backs. And it's going to come down to how well Baltimore can throw to stay in this game. Um, and there's really no standout spots as far as the matchup goes. So you're basically looking at the usual suspects of Mark Andrews, uh, Hollywood Brown, and then even Rashad Bateman. Like, but the thing with Bateman was his game last week came because Watkins left with an injury. So he was on the field more and he got more of those targets. But other than that, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, to look at Baltimore and really love any of the spots for these guys. I think if you're playing Adams and Rogers and like you're stacking this game, I think you bring it back with probably Andrews and then maybe Huntley, but, or uh, Hollywood, I mean, and I don't know. It's, it's tough on their side. I think they're going to have a little bit tougher of a, a go. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I kind of echo a lot of what Jeff was saying, you know, green Bay, it's not like the stingiest matchup, but they've been a pretty solid defense this year. Um, wide receiver wise, like none of the Baltimore guys have really been worth playing since they all three were, have been healthy, you know, Watkins and Bateman and Brown, like Brown's upside kind of has been capped ever since like early in the year when it was mostly just him. So I've, I've mostly been avoiding that. And then on top of that, now you have a green Bay defense that is very stingy against receivers. So it's a tough matchup and a tough, you know, volume expectation on top of it. Uh, whereas Andrews is in a spot where green Bay is allowing the fifth highest successor to tight ends. He had the most consistent volume all year. He hasn't had below 40 yards since week one. Like he's been, you know, he's rarely like killed your roster. He has a couple of obviously big games, scored six touchdowns on the year. Green Bay's given us some nice tight end games. Um, so I like Andrews a lot. You know, obviously he fits in as a bring back for, you know, if you're starting with the Green Bay side. Um, and I actually, if Lamar does play and he's healthy enough, you know, where you want, you're able to put him on your roster, 
I think he's interesting just because um, he's had a little bit of a down, you know, stretch lately. Like he had, he had I think before I wrote, he had um, of his 38 career games, he had 30 above 28, tw- uh, 20 DK points, which is like absurd. And uh, he's now had under, under that 20 points in three straight games. So he's been down. His ownership will probably follow that, especially, you know, with some injury concerns, I would just assume. Um, and now he's got a Green Bay defense that even though they've been solid, like they still allowed some good QB games, especially lately. Like, I don't know what's been going on lately, but like Cousins, Stafford and Fields have had some pretty nice games lately, um, all with multiple touchdowns in the last three. And then rushing wise, Green Bay has actually allowed quite a bit of rushing production. Like Heineke had 95 yards, Fields had 43 and 74. Russ at 32, Goff 46, Winston 37. So like we know Lamar has obviously massive rushing upside, especially if he's healthy, um, you know, with Green Bay being stingy against wide receivers that might force Lamar into running even more. So I, I think he's pretty interesting, um, especially if his ownership's drawing low. Like if he starts to get more popular, I probably prefer like the Rodgers side of this game. Um, but I do think that he is in an interesting spot to uh, put up a nice score. He obviously doesn't ever require a stackable you know player on his own team to get there like he can be played naked probably more than any other quarterback in the game um but andrews would be my favorite guy to, to pair him with i just don't think the running backs are ever worth paying green bay has actually been a lot better this year than the last few years against running backs and even with freeman playing pretty solidly like he's had some nice yardage games like he's still like maxed out at like 20.7 points and he's only reached three x's week, week 15 sat like this this week's salary just twice all year so i just I don't know. I, I don't think he has the upside that you need to, you know, win a tournament, especially in a matchup that's been pretty solid. And like, he's not one of these elite running backs that has actually had success against Green Bay this year. So I, I would mostly avoid that and just look at like Andrews and Lamar, but that's just my personal choice and the way I think the matchup sets up. But um, yeah, I don't really have much more else to add. I think I, those are the relevant players on Baltimore side. Yeah, I think what you're saying there was interesting to me in terms of the ownership, uh, just depending on like, and, you know, QB is like the one spot where we don't have to worry about ownership a ton. But, you know, if Rodgers is far more owned than Lamar, that sets up as kind of interesting to me to play Lamar and Andrews and then bring it back with Devontae or Devonte and MBS or something like that. Um, so not sure that I would do that, but just kind of thinking out loud, like as you're saying those things, I think that would definitely be viable and would immediately differentiate you from the field a little bit because most of these game stacks are going to be using Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. So by just by using the Baltimore quarterback, even if it is Huntley, I think like Jess was saying, I think it's I'd still be interested in doing so, um, which would differentiate. Yeah, I was just going to say, too, like those receivers on Green Bay, like even Rodgers, too, like they can all have really nice games and Lamar can still score more than Rodgers. You know what I mean? Like that's what his rushing upside gives you. And that would be like exactly like you're saying, like with the benefit of the lower ownership there where like you can still play these Green Bay players, but Lamar could still end up having the better game just because of what he can do on the ground. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like exactly what you were saying there. And Huntley, for sure, too, like you guys are saying, like, his upside is obviously a little bit less, like, you know, even though he has more volume, like he's just obviously not as good of a player and he's only scored like one touchdown in these two games with significant, significant action. But yeah, like you said, like anyone that can run like he has and he's throwing enough times and he's feeding Andrews the ball like that, that's good enough to be, you know, worth looking at at least at the very least. I would just, obviously his 
his ceiling, you know, relative to like a Rogers, like on the other side is not going to be as, you know, well positioned for you as like Lamar's is, but uh, it's still for sure. Interesting. Yeah. It's a sharp call there. And the last thing I'll say on that is I do think that the quarterback, regardless of who it is, will be able to, or be at least in a position to produce. Um, so definitely interesting just from that. All right, Jess, any other thoughts there? Are you good? No, I'm good. I was just, while we were talking there, I was looking at the slate as a whole and seeing which running quarterbacks we have on the slate. And we've got Murray at 7,900, uh, Lamar at 72, and Hertz at 66. So if people are looking for a running quarterback this week, I think they'll probably lean towards Hertz. So that would just add more what Lex was saying, like if you're wanting something a little more low owned at the quarterback position, it's going to be Lamar, who's the next quarterback on the list down from Aaron Rodgers, who everybody else is going to have. So he's kind of the pivot from the running quarterback going up from Hertz and then coming down from the other side of that game, that's going to have more ownership. So just from a game theory perspective, that makes a lot of sense looking at the QB board. Yeah, it might be in kind of a dead zone there. Well, speaking of Hertz, nice, nice segue, Jess. Uh, <laughs> let's go to Washington at Philly. So we've got this divisional matchup who are, they're meeting for the first time this year between two, six and seven teams that are fighting for a playoff spot. Philly is obviously coming off their bye, and we've got COVID kind of ravaging uh, the Washington football team currently. So let's see what we can do with this. On the Philly side of the ball with our guy Hertz, uh, we've got a strength on strength matchup in terms of the Philadelphia run defense and how they set up against the Washington, or excuse me, the Philly run offense against the Washington run defense. I'm kind of curious as to how this is going to go. Lex, I'll throw it to you first. Thoughts on that and how that's going to affect Philly's game plan as a whole. Yeah, we were talking before the show about like some of the COVID stuff affecting Washington. So obviously there's still some stuff up in the air that you'll need to track throughout the rest of the week. Um, but I think it's notable that like Washington as a, you know, the defense as a whole, like they've been a lot better of late. Like they started off the year being like, nothing like last year we were, it was like, people were slow to adjust. It was like this Washington events is not the same. They were allowing 275 yards to six of the first seven quarterbacks they faced. And then now like they haven't, they've held the last one, two, three, four, uh, like five or six guys under 250 yards. So like, and that includes like Brady and Wilson and Carr and Dak, Like these aren't like bad quarterbacks. So they've actually been playing pretty solid, even despite losing some guys like chase young and other guys of COVID of late. Um, so I, I think it's not as like nice of a matchup for Hertz as it would have like seemed like a few weeks ago. Um, but having said that, if a lot of those guys are out with COVID, especially all those guys along the defensive line, that's a really tough ask against a guy like, you know, Hertz in this improved rushing game with, you know, the offensive line for Philly playing well, Sanders rushing well, like that, that's a, that's a pretty tough ask. Um, so I, I think that it's still an interesting spot. Hertz's rushing floor has been kind of ridiculous this year. Like he's just putting up so much production on the ground and uh, we've seen some guys like Daniel Jones has had a lot of rushing success versus Washington in the last couple of years. Um, Mahomes and Cam, like they, they each ran for, you know, quite a bit versus Washington. So I think that Hertz is in a good spot from that perspective. Um, Washington being beat up. Uh, I, I think all plays really well into this Philly offense. Um, it's hard to 
know what to do because as the COVID issues pile up, you're kind of dealing with, you know, that kind of stuff versus their improved play over the last like two months. So you're, you know, it's, it's up to you on how much you want to value, you know, the guys that they're missing, I guess. Um, but like, you know, given the state of the slate, as we were talking about, like, there's not a lot of like rushing quarterbacks out there and, you know, that makes Hertz like a little bit more valuable. Um, if he's, he, he's dealing with an injury too. So I don't know how much that's going to affect. Like, obviously we're not like some doctors like we can't tell you how much that's going to affect his play. Um, so I mean, Minshew might even end up starting, you know what I mean? Um, he had a nice, you know, passing game, but he was also playing the jets, you know, like the two weeks ago. So I, I don't really know in terms of where Hertz is at, like in the way I'd value this week. But I, I do think that most importantly, you should keep an eye on how many of those Washington guys are going to be out come Sunday. Um, and then if you think that that is going to be a significant factor in that, what I was just saying about their improved defense, then obviously that would, that would help you determine whether Hertz is a good player or not. Just <laughs> we're splitting first team reps today at practice today being Wednesday. Um, but Wednesdays are usually the install. That's like the walkthrough. So it's not really like a full on having practice. So we'll see how Hertz handles actually like the, the full practices. Um, just a quick note on this game as a whole, these teams are each scoring pretty high in that DSR. So drive success rate, um, combining their offenses and their defense together to, to meld into one number. Washington's at seven and Philly's at eight. And what I like to see in games is two teams that are up or really close to each other or up high because that lets me think that there's going to be a nice back and forth in this type of game. Now we got to figure out what's going on with all the COVID stuff with Washington, because that's already moved the line two points from when I started my notes yesterday, it was a minus five for Philly. Now it's a minus seven. So whatever happens there is going to happen. And that's obviously going to change the way Rivera and Del Rio and everybody calls the defense because like they've already been, they started off the season like trash. They started playing different fronts, like five man defensive line fronts with one linebacker. Like they've experimented a lot this year. So they're kind of in a, a unique situation where they're, they're possibly prepared to handle whatever players are on the field. Cause they've been playing weird defenses all year anyway. Um, and they play a lot of man and stuff like that. So it's just, it, it's going to be interesting to see what the COVID effects are, especially across that defensive line. That's where they're hit the hardest um, and where the Eagles are the strongest. I mean, it, the trenches is going to be what's going to matter for the Eagles and the Redskins in this game because the Eagles have a great offensive line. They got a great running game and Washington's going to need to have the, the people up front to stop that. Um and then just going back to how we have seen that Washington defense improve, like they were, they've held opponents to 19.4 points per game since their week nine by before that they were allowing 28.4. So they, they've dropped nine shaped nine points off of what they're allowing. Uh, Eagles have scored 30 or more points in three out of their last four and five out of their last six. Now, the one out of the last four, the dud game was against the Giants. So obviously, divisional games do matter in this conference. So that could play a, a little bit of a role. But I don't know. It's just the, the way the way these two teams have evolved throughout the year makes this a really interesting matchup, too, because Sirianni started out and the and even Gannon on the defense for Philly, like their team has evolved about what was it? The Detroit game is when they decided, you know what, we're not going to have Hertz try to throw the ball so many times. 
we're going to just go run heavy. And then Gannon's got the defense up to where they've actually been playing better the second half of what we've played so far for, you know, the past seven or eight games. So the, the evolution of the Eagles as a whole has been interesting. Um, the evolution of Washington and them fighting through injuries and all that has been really interesting to watch as well. Um, and the Eagles, so kind of going back to some of that evolution, the Eagles attempted, uh, they've attempted the fewest passes this year. So on the whole, they've attempted 29.2 per game. Since Sirianni shifted them to that uh, run more, throw less offense, Hertz has attempted just 21.8 passes per game and run the ball 11.2 times. Prior to that, he was throwing 34.6 times per game and running 9.4. So he's up a couple of more runs down about 13 passes per game. Um, it's also been what's coincided with the drop in targets for Devontae Smith, who's gone from 7.6 targets to game, per game to 4.8, and it's spiked Goddard. He's gone from four targets per game to 5.3. So they're definitely looking to keep the, the offense kind of just in the middle of the field, rely, rely on your offensive lineman. We're going to move the ball through the run. We're not going to ask Hurts to do much. He's going to throw it to Goddard. He's going to throw it to you know, the running backs gain well is kind of like their little J.D. McKissick. He'll probably play a pretty big role in this, especially if Sanders is still hurting. Um, I don't know, just Philly's strength is their run, and Washington's been good at stopping it. But without those defensive linemen, we'll see what happens here. Yeah, I'll I'll just go on from that with Devontae Smith. Um, so, like, Washington, their biggest weaknesses here in terms of, like, fantasy points allowed has been to receivers. Like, they've allowed a lot of production there. But with what Jess is saying, like the attempts have just gone so far down that Devontae Smith's targets, like like as Ben, you noted in here, like his targets from the beginning of the season to now has just dropped so much. He hasn't had a game over six targets in the last like seven games since week seven. So, you know, like it's just hard to trust that that kind of volume when even when he was getting volume, his ceiling this year was like just a couple games over 20 and a high of like 25.6. And we haven't seen that in a while now. Um, I think that makes Goddard the most interesting of the pass catchers, just because at tight end, obviously you need less volume than, you know, at a receiver position for like upside at that, um, for that kind of score. And um, since Ertz has been gone, he's had a little bit more production. He hasn't had like a ton where it's like, you're like, oh, you need to play him now without Ertz. But obviously like last week, he's coming off a really good game with Minshew, a quarterback. Um, his only matchup last year with the Washington defense, he had 101 yards and a touchdown. And that was still when they even had her in week one. So, you know, I think that's an interesting spot. None of the Philly guys, I'm like, oh, I have to play them. You know what I mean? Like it's when you have these kind of volume concerns, like that just makes it tough to trust anybody in a pass game. But I would say Goddard would be my favorite of those guys. Um, it's weird. I, I don't know if like Minshew was just, you know, he was just a preferred target for Minshew and like maybe Hertz just doesn't look to him as much, but um, I, I can't say one week sample is enough to like prove anything definitively about that. You know what I mean? So I, I think that I don't really have many more thoughts in terms of Philly pass game or the run game, just because I've been basically not playing a Philly running back all season. I, I, I none of, they just split it too much. Rarely does even Sanders show enough upside. Like last week, he obviously had, I think, what his most carries of the season, maybe. Um, so he has a, and he hit a nice game last week. And even in that, he didn't put up some huge score. He's just at risk of losing so many touchdowns to Hurts on the ground or even like, a, you know, Boston Scott or Gainwell. So I, I've just been avoiding that myself. Um, none of the Philly guys, like we were saying, are too exciting. But like Jeff was saying, when you have those injuries on the ground, it, it, it definitely makes it interesting to look at like a guy like, 
you know, even hurts, you know, attacking them there. And if they can't get any pressure, then that opens up the offense as a whole. Like they've been scoring a lot of points, like just saying. So that, that would be, the, yeah, go ahead. All right, one more knock on the Philly running backs. It's Jordan Howard's back at practice now, and he was eaten into that whole rotation when he was healthy too. So none of their running backs are reliable, but you got Jalen Hurst averaging uh, 57.9 yards per game. <laughs> so, and, but Washington's only allowed five teams to go over 100 yards. And I, I think uh, one of the, the things that I noticed when I was looking at those teams that went over 100 yards was that Daniel Jones 95-yard game. So... If Hertz can do something like that, that would be solid. Um, Washington's allowed the third fewest running back rushing points, but they've allowed 13 running back receiving points per game, which is the fifth most. So I, not that I want to play game well, but like if you were to play one of the running backs, he would seem to be the most interesting. Um, I do really like Hertz in this game, especially, it, well, if Hertz is healthy, like if, if we get glowing reports on him. And then we also see that the majority of that Washington defensive line is out. I'm going to love Hertz in this game. And then I'll probably grab some Goddard too, because that defensive line is going to cause the linebackers to have to compensate. And I think that that Goddard might find some extra open space behind them. Yeah. And you have so many quarterbacks not on the slate this week, right? Like Mahomes and Herbert and like, you know, guys that are capable of these bigger scores. So Hertz is like, floor becomes even more valuable and he still has a nice ceiling as well, especially with, you know, how beat up your design that evens is. So I, I really like that for sure. Yeah. I think to the, the thing that stuck out to me was what you mentioned kind of at the start, Jess was their drive success rates. Uh, because in general, yeah, the Eagles offense is just kind of relatively stay away because most of these guys just don't have that ceiling, even though, you know, like we talked about Goddard had that game. Uh, it did seem a little bit more of like a factor of Minshew having, you know, feeling more comfortable throwing to him. Not that he couldn't have another good game, obviously, but um, yeah, it just seems like everything's so much less certain. I still think Devonta Smith is the the guy for Hertz, So that could potentially be, you know, kind of quiet, but as you were talking about Lex, it's not like he's even shown some massive ceiling or anything like that. So yeah, for me, it kind of feels like hurts or, or bust here. I, you know, I can see Goddard being a good play for the reasons that you guys mentioned, but, um, I, I guess I would hope to find a better play and maybe I can't on this slate, uh, but would hope to find a better play just given, price and and upside and things like that so with that we kind of finished the philly side of the ball there so let's move on to the other side where we've got some meaningful injuries on this side with both of the uh, the mix the, the <laughs> we've got mclaurin and mckissick who have had concussion injuries so those guys were kind of waiting to see what's going on with them. And then another thing that is notable to me is that Washington football team has been able to, when they're controlling the game and doing what they want to do, they're, they're giving Gibson the ball uh, that, you know, they're playing with their defense and then they're just running the ball down the throats of the other team. But last week we saw what happens if the game script gets flipped and the Cowboys were up 
early on them. And they, you know, Gibson essentially got phased out, didn't even get used really in the passing game that much. So with all of that, how do we think that they're going to attack in this spot here? How do the injuries play in? Are any of these guys viable either as one-offs or in game stacks? Jess, I'll go to you here. Uh, to add to the, the injury list, Washington has lost their top three centers this year too. And then part of this whole COVID thing going on, their starting right tackle is on the COVID list currently. Um, they just, their offensive line has been a mess for them all year, but they also could be getting, uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, uh, Cosme, the right tackle that started the year might be coming back. So if Lucas can't play at right tackle this week, then they might get their original starter back, which may or may not help them. Um, as far as the running game goes, like this is also a, a strength on weakness area with all the injuries and COVID ravaging Washington and Philly has been strong. Like traditionally they're, they're built around their two lines and they still have a strong defensive line, which is going to cause all kinds of problems. I don't know that Gibson is such a great play like Philly's defense. Like, and this is what I kind of at the top when we were talking about, and I was saying that the, the defense has evolved, like their defense was allowing hundred plus rushing yards through their first seven games, but have since only allowed the saints to reach hundred yards on the ground over the last six games. So Gannon and the defense have flipped a switch on that. Uh, Washington has run for hundred yards and four out of the last five games since the bye week. So that will be kind of interesting to see which trend continues there. Um, and then Gibson's rushing total since the bye week, he's kind of started off with that 64 yard game against Tampa and then 95 yards against Carolina and then 111 in that game against Seattle, where he just set career highs across the board in touches, targets, catches, like everything. And then another 88 versus Vegas. And then back down to 36. And like you said, that was a, a, a game script flip where Gibson was, they were down against Dallas early. And so he only was able to pile up 36 on the ground. But if they would use him more in that passing game role, especially if McKissick is out, like that's kind of what helped him with that Seattle game um, was the McKissick. Well, no, the Seattle game was the McKissick two touchdown games. Uh, it was Vegas and Dallas where McKissick has been out. So I don't know. It, and Gibson didn't really shine too much in those games either. So it's, he's kind of interesting here. Um, and then we got to, again, make sure that we're looking at the COVID list on that. But then if you flip over to the, the passing game, Philadelphia has been forcing the shallowest throws in the league. Like they're the third lowest yards per completion, shallowest ADOT, fourth fewest air yards per completion. Like they're really that coverage that they're running. I, I can't remember if they're cover two or cover three right now, but I think they're kind of flipping between the two and they're just keeping everything in front of them. Um, and in, in turn, it's helped them face the fewest wide receiver targets. Like they face the fewest outside wide receiver targets and the second fewest slot targets. So they're just shutting down wide receivers across the board. Uh, but they have allowed 14.8 total or 14.8 total wide receiver targets while allowing 15.6 to running backs and tight ends. So that's where, where teams are attacking them. So that's where we're going to see if Washington's able to do anything, especially if McLaurin's out, because they, they don't have another receiver that's going to be able to take that kind of heat that McLaurin would take away from the other receivers. So they're all just going to kind of get shut down based on what Philly's doing anyway. So we're looking at whoever can start at tight end, and we're looking at Gibson, and if McKissick plays or not, we'll see. 
but it's the running backs and tight ends for Washington. And I wouldn't even list them as like top plays. They're just kind of like interesting ideas to look at while you're building lineups. Um, and even at tight end, we don't know what's going on. Like Ricky Seals Jones came back last week, but Bates was the one who played pretty much all the snaps. So like who's, who's getting the ball there is, is Jones just like warming up and like having that first game back kind of snap load or is Bates the the number one now? So just kind of the, the, the two positions worth looking at on the Washington side is running back tight end and keeping an eye on that COVID list on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I'll make mine short. Cause Jess hit on like everything. Um, Heineke look, he hasn't been great. The only quarterbacks that had success for Philly are really like Mahomes, Brady, Carr, Herbert. Heineke's not nice here. They have a bunch of injuries on the line. Philly gets good pressure on their defensive line. Not a great sign for Heineke. Uh, He's also now, you know, coming off, you know, he's questionable. He's like dealing with an injury. So you know, he might not even be fully healthy. Uh, his best player might miss the game in concussion protocol, Terry McLaurin. McLaurin also in three games against Darius Slay, he's topped out at like 70 yards and he hasn't had like one game of like more than, uh, let's see, 13, 15. Yeah. Like more than like 17. He's, he's, let me, let me just read these off just cause it's easy that way. All right. He went five or 72 versus Detroit in 2019. And then last year versus Philly, he went five to 61, seven forty and one. Like, so nothing that you need on your roster. Philly's been pretty solid against receivers this year, which makes it even worse. Not only that McLaurin has basically been dudding completely for your roster in nine games. And then he's had four really nice scores. Philly's allowing the second fewest wide receiver receiving yards and the third fewest DK points a game to receivers. So bad matchup for him. Curtis Samuel hasn't even basically played no one to target from the receiver group. Uh, Gibson, his highest score this year is 26.6. And that's his only score above 22 DK points. So he's rarely ever putting up a score that you really need. He has one score in his career over the last two seasons of a half to have it score. And that was 39.6. And he had like a couple touchdowns, like just a big blow of game. And he's on that once Philly is like Jess was saying, really improved their rush defense over the last um, two months. Uh, not only that Gibson is basically like a fumble away from getting benched again with the way Rivera has been coaching these guys. He's still not getting used enough through the air to give you solid volume. Uh, there's just not a lot to like from this side of the ball. Like it's weird because of what just saying at the beginning in terms of like the, the drive success rate being nice for these teams. But like, I, I just don't see, it's really tough to trust any of these guys, especially if McKissick plays and then takes away even more Gibson usage again. Um, the tight ends are like, were really interesting for the majority of the year. And then all of a sudden the last few weeks, like RSJ is like losing some usage to like Bates and none of them have even really put up a nice score. It sucks that Thomas was out. Cause yeah, he would have been interesting, but Philly's past events has just been good. Like they've been solid all year. And now with the rush events actually getting it together, there's just not a lot of places to attack this defense. Washington is not exactly the competent offense that you would want to attack them anyway. So I'm, I don't have a lot of good to say. I think just hit on all the main points that you'd want to know if you're looking at the side of the ball. So yeah, I'll just wrap it up there. <laughs> uh, one more point too. You mentioned Heineke's injury. His backup is on the COVID list. So this game. Oh, jeez. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I, you guys covered it. I got nothing. Like it's just, there's really not a lot to love from that side of the ball. Tight end would have been probably the only place that I would have been semi-interested in. And yeah, I mean, 
got a got a feel for for Logan Thomas. I was excited to see him come back and play the rest of the year, but yeah, and and even RSJ would have been semi interesting, but with the Bates thing now, I mean, yeah, it's it's a mess. You could try to get a little crazy and throw Gibson in there and hope that you know he he's the only player on their team that the the offense can run through, but I think outside of that, uh, I'm, you know, I'm with you, Lex. It's like, I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't really see how Washington's going to be really productive here. And, you know, my, I, I that kind of kills the the game a little bit. And, you know, I think Hertz is still viable, obviously, because he's still going to be running the ball and doing his thing, but definitely something to keep in mind if you're thinking about, pairing him with Goddard or something like that. It's like, you know, these, these guys aren't necessarily going to need any type of volume if Washington can't really do much. And so obviously, you know, for, for you as the listener, like make sure you're thinking through things. This is kind of just how we're seeing things, but um, yeah, make sure you're thinking through that when building rosters, because that definitely, definitely matters. All right, y'all, let's head on to our third game of the night. We've got Tennessee at Pittsburgh. Kind of an interesting spot here because we've got Tennessee who they were were on this kind of heater and then they had two back-to-back losses in which they only scored 13 points and they bounced back. They shut off the Jags, which that's not necessarily that much of an accomplishment uh, in which they, they still only scored 20 in that game also. And then we've got Pittsburgh who is coming off of that, uh, you know, just failed comeback versus Minnesota on that primetime game. So, and they've just been like all over the board kind of in general this year, just like really hard to pin down. Some games are scoring a bunch, other games, they look like crap. So, I'm kind of interested to see what's uh, what's going on here. Let's start on the Tennessee side of the ball. We've got Pittsburgh who just got gashed by the, the one-armed man in Delvin cook uh, who, I mean, really did just destroy them and they looked really pretty pathetic, but then we have this, you know, we've got a, a committee led by, Dante Foreman on the Tennessee side. So I don't really know that that's all that exciting. They're set up really well to do this. Lex thoughts on the Tennessee offense here. Yeah, I'll start with Tannehill. So I've been basically keeping this in the matchups for Tennessee, like every week that I've had them, but since 2020 Tannehill has had 10 games of 20 plus TK points, just 20, like not even like huge games. Now some of them have been nice, but that's like the, the baseline I'm, I'm telling you here. In eight of those 10 games, Tennessee scored 30 plus points. And in six of the 10, the total combined over 60. Like Tannehill is basically only valuable in these like shootout type games. So just keep that in mind. If you are playing him, you probably want to build around the game pretty significantly because otherwise he's, you're just drawing dead. Uh, The total for this game is set at 41 and a half points, at least when I checked like yesterday or, or this morning. So not exactly the scoring, you know, that you would hope for in terms of what Vegas is expecting here. Tennessee, on top of that, since losing Henry has scored 21, 23, 13, 13, and 20 offensive points. Like, not great. 
Um, Pittsburgh on top of that is allowing 24.8 points per game. So like right in the kind of middle, um, the teams that have scored above that are pretty solid offenses like uh, Las Vegas, Green Bay, Chargers, you know, Bengals, Vikings. So, you know, pretty good teams, which of Tennessee has not been a good offensive team without Henry. Tannehill has passed for 300 yards in just five of his 30 starts since 2020. Um, Pittsburgh on top of that has only allowed four quarterbacks over 275. They've still been a pretty good pass defense this year. Basically, all that to say, Tannehill is not in a great spot. And the only way I would play him is if you're building around like a Julio, a Deontay, a Najee, like just a bunch of guys expecting like fireworks, um, just in a way. And the field will probably, it'll probably be a low ownership because given that total, like I can't imagine they're all projecting all too well. Um, let's see other guys that I would mention, like, so Julio, he had 128 yards versus Seattle in week two in his other six games, he's averaging 40 yards a game. And that includes like a couple without Brown too. So not great. No one else on their receiving core is even worth like mentioning. Um, Pittsburgh is allowed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight guys, just eight over 70 plus yards. And, um, They've allowed the 13th lowest success rate to receivers. They have allowed 15 wide receiver touchdowns. So that is something that's interesting. Now, Julio has not exactly been the best touchdown guy over the last few years. So, you know, and like, that's a pretty long trend at this point. Um, I, I can't say I like anyone from the Tennessee pass game. Pittsburgh's just been a pretty solid defense. None of these guys, like including Julio, have been great. Um, he is probably pretty cheap. I didn't look at his price. So like that, I guess would be interesting, but, um, I think like you were saying about what Dalvin just did to them, the only really interesting play would be, yeah. Like if Deontay Foreman, if you want to take a stab at him, he's been solid. Um, the problem is he's only got 19 attempts and then 13 attempts. And then I can't, I don't think he's got many targets and they've been giving, you know, McNichols some usage and Hilliard some usage. So you're, you know, you're just attacking like a pretty split backfield even though he is the, like, the top dog, you know, I guess. But yeah, Pittsburgh has been gashed on the ground of late. They've allowed um, four, two, one, two touchdowns on the grounds of running backs in the last four weeks. So a lot of touchdowns. Um, I just, I don't know. You're just betting on maybe Foreman emerges as like a 20 attempt guy again, like he did a couple weeks ago, but that was with McNichols out. Now they've got all three of these guys playing. It's just tough. Like even with Pittsburgh being, you know, Dalvin in that Minnesota game is a little bit different than, you know, Deontay Foreman, like you were saying, you know what I mean? So I can't say I'm very excited about this Tennessee offense. They've just yet to prove that they can be pretty functional without, you know, missing, you know, missing Brown and Henry. So I don't know. I, again, if you want to build around it, build around a lot of the guys, like it being like, you know, the defense is just not playing well. And a lot of offensive points, I think if you're just trying to take like a stab on a single guy, you're better off focusing on other games, at least from the Tennessee side of the ball here, just because there's, they haven't been great and Pittsburgh's defense been good. So it's just a bad combo. Yeah. And with the success teams have had running the ball against Pittsburgh lately and not being Tennessee's identity, I'm going to expect that the Titans are going to come into this game saying, we're going to run the ball until you stop us, uh, which kind of would put a damper on the whole passing side of Tennessee, which is already dampered by injuries and, I mean, Julio came back last week. He played 45% of the snaps. The plan is to, you know, steadily increase his work until he's playing a full game. But yeah, like you said, his, his touchdown history over the past few years has been rough. Um, the other two receivers are NWI and Hollister. They're the ones that saw the most snaps at wide receiver last week. So 
really nothing too interesting on the the Tennessee passing side. Like I'm a Julio stand, so I, I'm always looking at Julio as like, do I want to play him? But uh, the way this game is going to flow, like the way both of these teams have played, so Tennessee is just going to want to line up, run the ball. They've possessed the ball for at least 30 minutes in each of their last four games, and two of those games they lost. So their whole thing is we're just going to run the ball, run out the clock, get to the playoffs, and get healthy. That's the only thing they're thinking right now. Uh, Pittsburgh, they're thinking, yeah, we're going to try and run the ball for the first half and suck at it. And then we're going to come back with a, a flurry of passes in the second half and try and get back in games. Like their, their whole approach has been crap. I don't understand why they're not like Ben's throwing the ball a lot already. Why not like kind of add some more of those passes in early? Why try to establish the run? Why try to like pretend you have this identity that you don't have? They're the fifth lowest first half scoring team and the ninth highest second half scoring team. And it's because their play calling sucks. <laughs> so if, if they, and they have the seventh worst net DSR score on this too. So we're looking at a, a Pittsburgh team that's going to be look, looking across from them and watching Tennessee run the ball down their throat. And then the second half, they're going to be down by, you know, 17, 20 points, and they're going to have to throw the ball a ton. And then you're going to, that's where all your fantasy points come from. I've been playing the Steelers a lot these past few weeks and just watching the scoreboard and like, God, these guys aren't doing anything. And then you come back in the fourth quarter, like, okay, there we go. So it's, it's the Steelers side of the game is you're going to want to bet on the passing. Um, I don't know if you're going to want to play Ben Roethlisberger. He's been interesting to me lately because it's been so cheap and now he's 5,600. Um, I liked him better back down in the 5,000, 5,300 range. Cause basically with Roethlisberger, you're, you're getting no rushing floor whatsoever. You're betting on a 300 yard passing game. And you're hoping for two, if not three passing touchdowns there. Um, as far as what, and I don't want to jump over to the other side too much here, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my look at it is, is if you're looking to play anything on the Tennessee side, you're going to want to play the running game. Their running backs basically were like each at 33%. Like they, they played a third of the game, each one of them. So it's really hard to bet on any one of them. The thing with Foreman though is he is getting the carries. He's like the, the carry the mail, get the touchdowns kind of guy, but he's not getting much as far as targets go. But the way the game sets up and the way teams have been running against the Steelers, he's at least a little bit interesting. Um, his price is still pretty low too. Yeah, he's 5,200. So his back-to-back 14-point games haven't really spiked his price. And I don't think DraftKings is looking at the Steelers' defense as one that everybody wants to pile in on. Uh, yet, even though the NFL teams have been, but it's, it's that workload and the snap share splits, I think is what is going to cause a lot of concern. And so maybe it is kind of worth rostering Foreman in this, uh, uncertain role because he can get another hundred yards or he can get a touchdown or he can combine for both. Like that's how he's got his 14.2 points was the first game, 19 carries 109 yards. Second game, only 47 yards, but he got the touchdown and a couple of catches for 15 yards. So, like, if he puts it together and gets the 100 yards and a touchdown, which he possibly can, his salary is is, is nice for that. Um, and then, like I said, being a Julio stand, I'm always looking at Julio and, and seeing if I want to play him. So, that's, that's going to be a Sunday decision for me. Um, I'll talk about Ben really quick because I was just looking through some stuff. So, I wrote in the matchups, like, his only two games of 20 plus DK points were 37 to 41 loss to LAC and 28.8 
points in a 28 to 36 loss to Minnesota. So like he's needed these massive shootouts and they weren't even necessarily shootouts because if you look the two games, Pittsburgh scored 27 points in the fourth quarter against the chargers or the Vikings and 21 in the fourth quarter against Chargers. So most of that production was like when they were trailing and they were just throwing a ton in the fourth quarter, like just the same. Um, and those are the only two games he's even done 20 points. Now that would be, just depending on how you think Pittsburgh is going to call the game, Tennessee is just unlikely to take a lead like the Chargers and the Vikings did. So if they just run the ball too much, then Ben's just not going to get enough pass volume. But having said that, Tennessee's pass defense is one of the weaker spots of this defense. A lot of quarterbacks have had success here. Ben has been playing well of late. He's averaging 2.2 touchdowns over the last five games. Uh, so he is playing well. I just think that Ben playing well is just better for the receiving game. I think Claypool and Deontay are both pretty interesting here. Um, with the way Tennessee's given up receiver production over the last two years. Um, I think it's like they've allowed the most giga points to receivers over the last few years total. So I like those guys. Deontay's floor was obviously massive. Um, he has shown a little bit of a better ceiling of late. Uh, he could have been coming off, I think, what was it, like four touchdowns in four games. He didn't drop that one last week. Uh, Claypool's still tough. He's he's not really had many big games, but he obviously we know he is capable uh, I think Ben's just dying arm makes it tougher for a guy like him to have the bigger blow up because he either really needs a couple touchdowns or those big plays and the big plays just aren't as frequent anymore in Pittsburgh. So I don't know about that. Friermuth is interesting just because, you know, he's a tight end with, you know, pretty nice usage and a and very high touchdown equity, which just makes him valuable at that position. Uh, there's nothing that really stands out crazy about the matchup, but uh, he's worth mentioning. And then Najee, he's on this slate with the way the running backs set up with a lot of the elite guys not not on the main slate. Najee is going to be interesting just because of the volume that he gets every week. Um, Tennessee's defense has been just kind of like, you know, actually they've been pretty solid against running backs. I was going to say they were average, but they've allowed the fourth fewest running back rush yards and second fewest running back DK points per game. So they've been pretty tough against running backs. Um, Najee's value really has just been his volume. He hasn't been super efficient or anything. He hasn't even scored that many touchdowns. Um, he has one in eight of 13 games, but like, I think he only has like one game with more and that was with uh, two touchdowns. And that was last week. So he really hasn't put up many like huge scores. He just has a pretty nice floor. So, and then on top of that, the matchup, like I said, not being great, nothing exciting. I think Deontay is obviously the best play on the Pittsburgh side. If you want to attack this game from like, you know, yeah, like a Julio or like Deontay Foreman um, with Deontay bring back. I don't know. I, there's not a lot that speaks. I mean, like I, the biggest total is set at like 41. Like I, I imagine that's one of the lowest of the week. Um, but obviously if you're playing it for like, maybe these offenses end up with more success than they've shown of late, just with, you know, the obviously Tennessee being kind of cruddy lately. Uh, it is possible that they find some of their mojo back. I just think it's unlikely. Um, yeah. I don't really have much else to add at this point. I'm just kind of rambling just because I'm trying to come up with talking points just because I don't really like a lot from this game. Um, but obviously I would start with Pittsburgh passing game, maybe look at a little bit of the Tennessee side, but obviously Tennessee passing game is basically just correlated with a lot of points from both teams. So that would be the last thing I have to say. Yeah. I think kind of like Jess, you said, <laughs> as you were talking, I was just like, that's exactly how I expect this game to go is like Pittsburgh doesn't, you know, they don't need to do anything smart in the first half. <laughs> They'll just kind of do what they'll try to do. And as you were just saying there, Lex, 
the Tennessee run defense has actually been pretty good. And so they're going to take their terrible offensive line and just slam Najee against that. And yeah, they'll pass a little bit, but yeah, like my biggest fear is like they, as you said, Lex, they're not going to have that pressure of a three touchdown deficit in the second half. Tennessee might be up 13, three or something, I don't know, you know, 13, six or something like that at halftime. And it's not going to be enough to like really, really push Pittsburgh into this, uh, this, this passing volume that we've been seeing them from them recently, which therefore kind of lowers the ceiling of all those guys. So, yeah, I mean, it's just from, from that, like if to me, that feels like, like by far the likeliest game flow for this. Like, I just really don't see many ways this game goes in a different way. The only way really would be if Pittsburgh somehow gets out to an early score or two, and then Tennessee's forced into um, passing more and that, that would shift the game environments a little bit, but otherwise I think, you know, kind of like we, we laid out on the Tennessee side of the ball. It's like, they're, they're just going to run this ball and, take up, you know, the vast majority of the clock time, time possession. So it, it, I don't know. Yeah. It just doesn't set up great for a a ton of production. Um, But Jess, I'll throw it over to you here too, just to see if, uh, what thoughts you have on the Pittsburgh offense and their skill guys. Uh, Yeah. I'll run through my notes here. I got uh, like, we're talking about Tennessee's run defense has been tough. Only three teams have run for 100 yards against the Titans this year. And that was the Cardinals, Jaguars, and the first meeting, not this last one. They only had eight yards last time. But uh, James Robinson had 149 yards against them. And he's the only running back. Uh, and I, that was an incomplete thought. New England was the third team that ran for 100 yards against the Titans. Uh, James Robinson is the only running back to by himself to go over 100 yards. He went for 149. And then they just held him to eight yards last week. Uh the Titans allow the second fewest rushing yards per game, second fewest DK points to running backs. Uh, it has the sixth toughest net adjusted line yards matchup. And then just looking at the way these two, two, two teams match up, uh, Pittsburgh only runs the ball 23.6 times per game, which is like an orange box on the workbook, uh, actually kind of red. And then uh, Tennessee is allowing 22.5 rush attempts against per game, which is a red box. So the, that's just, it's a red flag matchup. Stay away from the running game, but the, the way the Steelers call the game, they're going to try and get Najee going on the ground. And then in the second half, try and catch up. And then uh, one of the beat writers tweeted out today when Najee's longest, well, they tweeted it out as Mason Rudolph still the, has the longest run for the Steelers this year. And then they tweeted the list and Mason Rudolph had, I think he has a 26 yard run or something like that. Maybe his was higher. But then uh, Claypool and then Deontay Johnson were in the mid-20s. And then here we got Najee's longest run. He's fourth on the list with 23 yards. So he hasn't been an explosive weapon for them in the run game at all. Like he just kind of gets a few yards here and there, and it, it doesn't sustain drives. So if Steelers want to win this game, like because they have playoff aspirations here too, and this is a team you, you're going to have to beat them in the playoffs probably too. So you got to figure this out, like change your play calling, like start throwing the ball early, get Najee in and get him another 19 target game. Like <laughs> he needs to be catching the ball if you want him out in space and moving the ball. But, uh, and speaking of the 19 target game, if we exclude that he's only averaging 4.7 targets per game. And then it bumps up like over a target when you include it to 
Um, flipping over to the passing side of the this, uh, QBs have thrown for 300 yards, like at, above or near 300 yards is my note here against the Titans. We have Josh Allen with 353, Russell Wilson with 343, Mac Jones for 310. And then you've got uh, Simeon through 298, Zach Wilson 297, Stafford for 294. So we got six guys right around that 300 yard mark, three or two of them kind of blew it out of the water there. And Roethlisberger's thrown the ball 40 plus times in seven out of 12 games. I mean, granted, he's Dinkin and Duncan, and he's not really the most explosive passer, but uh, he's only reached 300 yards in two of those games, as Lex mentioned. One of those, it took 58 passes to get there. So it, he's probably going to throw 40 times again. I don't know if he's going to get to the 300 yards, but with the matchup on the ground being tough, if they call a few more good pass plays early in the game, uh, it's possible he can get there. He's going to throw 40 times. Well, let me t- step walk that back a little bit. If Tennessee does get out to that commanding lead, they're running the ball and they keep the ball out of Pittsburgh's hands. If Pittsburgh has a couple of turnovers, then this just could be a slaughter. Like Tennessee could win this game similar to what they did to the Jaguars last week with Lawrence throwing four interceptions. Um, but I mean, there's still stuff to like on the Pittsburgh side for the passing game. I still really do like Deontay Johnson. Now he's finally priced like he should be. I think he just got a big uh, increase too, something like $1,000. Let me double check that. Yeah, he's up to 7,500 this week. Well, I guess he was 71 in his last game, but I was loving him down there in that 66, 68 range where he was, where he was basically his... uh, target per salary conversion. He was basically doubling his salary in targets. Now, now they've uh, wised up a little bit and priced him up, but I still do like him. He's the, he's the best play in this game overall. Um, if you wanted to skinny stack this, you could do like, or a correlated play, whatever you could do Foreman and Deontay. Um, if you're playing for this <laughs> and, and like we're saying, this is a 41.5 game total. I think only the Jaguars and Texans is lower. But if you are brave enough to want to go ahead and stack this game up, then I think you stack with Roethlisberger and Deontay, and then you can pick either Claypool, Harris, or Fryer to to add to that Fryer move and then uh, bring it back with either Foreman or Julio. But the the way this game's likely to play out is going to be what we're saying. Tennessee is going to run the ball. If they get early turnovers against the Steelers and put them in a big hole, it's it's just gonna it's gonna get real ugly because then Tennessee is not gonna be forced to do anything but hand the ball off. And at that point, yeah, we're gonna want Foreman in the Tennessee defense. But if if you're into second half points, the Steelers passing game is definitely gonna get you there. <laughs> uh, yep, yep. <laughs> um, just because I I didn't note it after we talked about the Tennessee side, but what you were saying about Foreman was like semi-interesting to me in that if they do indeed get to run the ball 35 times or something like that, he, he could potentially, you know, based on how terrible the, the Pittsburgh Rundy really did look, Again, price considered, of course, but if he does hit that 100-yard bonus and manage to to um, get a touchdown, you know, you're you're pretty happy with what you paid for him. I do think that obviously we're talking about this in a vacuum without uh, really considering all the other plays on us on the slate. But uh, something that I will at least kind of have in the back of my head. But that's uh, 
feels pretty disgusting, but I think that kind of <laughs> is a, a, a testament to, to the slate as a whole, or, or kind of just where we're at in the season with injuries and things like that. Well, and Tennessee likes Foreman and kind of that Henry role, like they're running a lot of their duo concepts with him. And he actually kind of like a couple of runs, I was watching the, the highlights from the game. And like the, the first run I saw, I was like, wait a minute, is that Henry? Like he kind of looked like him for a second there because of the size and the hair and everything and the run up the middle. But to your point, like if they are going to run the ball 35 times, the play chart that I put in the workbook there, it shows uh, 29.8 is the, if you meld what Tennessee's running game does, 31.5 runs per game and Pittsburgh facing 28.2. So that could get you 30 carries right there. If the game breaks the right way, that gets up to 35 ish. And you got to think Foreman's going to have 20 to 25 of them if they get up to 35. Lex, you good? Yeah, I'm good. I, I think honestly, Jess hit on all the stuff that you guys should know. I don't, I don't have much else that did. I mean, if anything, I didn't say that you want to see in the matchups or Jess's workbook, I would check both those out. But yeah, in terms of what I have to add, I, I, I would just be rambling because uh, it's, it's tough to find a lot of fantasy goodness outside of what you know we've we've hit on already. All right, guys. Well, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Uh, keep at it this week. We're we've, we're nearing the end of the season here, and people are going to start getting a little bit lazy with their research and things like that. So if you've made it this far, then you're probably doing more than the rest of the field is. So keep at it. But for Lex, for Jess, I'm Ben. Hope to see you guys at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. <laughs>